she knew. She knew. And that presents a whole new area of concern. <laughs> Stop. Uh, it will just come on. It's off. For no reason. Okay. I've never been the goo goo ga ga da da kind of guy. And now, the safety zone. Mike, good morning. We're here for another session of the Safety Zone. And as always, we have a topic that is impacting to all of us, whether we're parents or aunts or leaders, teachers, etc. But during this whole COVID-19 and the pandemic, of course, in the in the US, most states have had the schools go remote, as with everything else, schools closing. I know in our area, you know, the kids aren't going back until fall. So with that has come some interesting dynamics. And of course, they're calling it long distance learning. And my daughter's in high school. They're basically doing everything via Zoom. Depending on how, like with our school district, they're not, it's not really necessarily a teacher classroom. The, The teachers are emailing, connecting that way. But there's a lot of areas and, and including our area at times where the teachers, counselors are reaching out to the students individually, some of them even Snapchatting, which is very popular, of course, with young people. And that presents a whole new area of concern, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I had this conversation yesterday with a group of our partners that come out of the education world, former commissioners of education, liaisons from the White House. One of the things we were talking about is a lot of public schools were not really prepared for everything that goes into distance learning. Even if they had Chromebooks or notebooks or equipment to hand students, they were not prepared for the kind of isolated social interaction that can happen. And I've had a concern for years. I've said many times, and I'm dating myself, we had two telephones in the house. We had one in the kitchen with a cord on it. We had one in my parents' bedroom with a cord on it. And so you try to stretch that cord as far away from your parents as you could get, but there was no getting away from your parents. There was no contact with teachers or adults or youth ministers or anybody that didn't happen face-to-face. or through a telephone. And I can't tell you how many times I'd sneak up to my mom and dad's bedroom to try to talk to a girlfriend. Right. And then you'd hear breathing. It's like, oh my gosh, my mom's on the other end of the phone. (laughs) That's exactly right. We're in a whole different world. The access to children right now is almost unprecedented pre-COVID. Now in the middle of this social distancing, we're forcing them and approving teachers having this kind of contact where before this would have been absolutely no, no, right? Like teachers don't Snapchat children. You Snapchat one of my children and I find out we're going toe to toe. Uh, I'm going to be at the school tomorrow. Today, the management of that is almost impossible. I think I mentioned in the podcast last week, my daughter who's in sixth grade going into seventh grade has a Zoom conference I plan to right outside this door and I've got one ear listening. Mm -hmm. I'm listening for anything that doesn't sound correct because it's so easy to then isolate them through social media, groom them and the access. So yeah, we're in unprecedented times where it's almost, I hate to say this, but it's almost 
a pedophile or mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. that would hurt our children, it, it's almost a gift to them because we have given them almost unfettered access to our children to be able to communicate with them through social media that we may not have ever allowed two months ago. It reminds me of, and this granted was well prior to COVID, but it reminds me of the, and I I can't remember the state if it was Texas, but where there was the teacher corresponding with one of the students and ended up, I don't remember if it was a willful, her going with him, they met and she had disappeared. And she was with this teacher who eventually came back. But you hear of those instances and you think, uh, long shot. But like you said, when you've got so much access and it really is all about the access right when it comes to to grooming how what do we do about that how do parents or uh, even in school their oversight what is the answer to that yeah i think right now the schools administratively are overwhelmed if you really and, and we're talking to schools every day all over the country and i'm hearing the same word pop up over and over again which is hybrid And we're talking about where is this going in August? And I think what's happening administratively, the schools are much like a war. You have contingency plans. Here's plan A, plan B, and plan C. And really, that's where our schools are at right now. Plan A, we're all going back in August. Plan B, hybrid. How do we have 50% of our students in the classroom, 50% remote? Administratively, I know one of our largest clients spent, uh, I believe they told me $13 million just on technology and equipment when this started to be able to get their children remote. Uh, Enormous. So, and what they were saying is, I apologize, we haven't talked to you for like 30 days on our project as we're pushing it along. We had to go sideways here to move remote. So, What I'm hearing is some of the public schools are starting to lean on some of these virtual schools that have been around for a while because the virtual schools, that's what they do. And so Mm -hmm. by virtue of that and being a bit competitive and not always the favorite on the block, that they've had to really develop and adhere to strong policies with how do you teach remote, how you have in contact with students, how do you communicate with them. So they've mastered this. And I think, you know, we're in the middle of our public and private schools that are traditional schools trying to figure out how do we do that? And then how do we oversee hundreds or thousands of teachers that are communicating with tens of thousands of students? And what does that look like? Is it okay to text now? I don't like that. No. So they get my cell phone or if we need to upload something, a lot of times I'll go out and through a software would help her upload a document. But yeah, it's very, very difficult. And you mentioned Snapchat. It's there and it disappears by virtue of that software, it is built to hide, right? Yep, yep. So, and they use it a um, lot. It, and they use it a lot. It's mm-hmm. very popular. My team My, looks at text and uh, email as prehistoric. Oh, Everything is Snapchat. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, the ability to groom, when I look back, I keep dating myself, <laughs> but when I look back, the ability to groom when I was younger had to happen face to face. Now, believe me, I knew who the teachers were that were inappropriate, and you would see inappropriate behavior in the hallways. Those things weren't always addressed, but it had to happen in person. 
Mm-hmm. Now you give me the gift of being able to interact with you online. Not only can I kind of slowly groom that little message here, little comment. And these comments are to see how you're going to react. How does that child react when I say something that's right there on that gray area? Does it open the door for me to take it just a little bit further or does the door stop and then I move to somebody else? So the ability for these individuals to be able to groom using technology unbelievable. The church that I helped plant years ago, our senior pastor, his daughter as a teenager, youth pastor in the church, finally had groomed her for such a period of time that she sent a photo of herself with her shirt off. This is the senior pastor's daughter. Do you think they're not having conversations? Does she not know that this isn't correct? But she's led and groomed into this behavior against everything she knows is right, Mm -hmm. but she does it through social media. That is kind of the enemy we're up against. Influence. Yes, because it's the yeah. influence of a side of a, as you said, for a, a kid of any age, but especially I would say the, the preteens and the teens, especially, they're the people that they are around often more than, I mean, even the parents, they're around the teachers, the counselors at the school. And my daughter has a counselor that's assigned to her who's male and they're around them so much. And so that person becomes their trusted confidant often. Same in church, like you said, the youth pastor becomes the trusted confidant. And, and, you know, you think about, I think now as my own daughter is a teen, I probably never would have understood, well, how can they, can someone be groomed uh, like the senior pastor's daughter? But the reality is at those ages, they are so open to influence, to outside influence. Even when it comes to faith, that's often a time where they struggle. They're trying to find their own way. There's that kind of bred, you know, ability to want to rebel, you know, to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so, well, he's saying this and my dad or my mom's over here saying this. So blends in, doesn't it? There's a certain propensity within certain age children anyway, especially in adolescence where there's, they're wanting to start doing their own thing and can work right into that. Well, they're very confused about who they are. I was confused as a teenager. I was an athlete. I made decent grades, but I was still never comfortable in myself. And most kids aren't. So the peer pressure to be accepted. And today, oh my gosh, yeah, we had bullies, but bullies beat you up on the bus or were mean on the playground. They couldn't pick up a phone and destroy you to two or 300 people like can happen today in a second and these in a second and these folks that hurt our children they're really most of them are very smart Mm -hmm. they're not the neanderthals that you think of that are walking down the street with knuckles dragging on the sidewalk they are very slick they're master manipulators Mm -hmm. they know how to say the right things They can really, I've mentioned this before, psychologically, they can see right into your soul and figure out 
who lacks self-confidence, path of least resistance. That's kind of a theme we have here on the podcast. But mm-hmm. am I going to target somebody that very strong and understands and likely to resist? Or can I start feeding into a child who's unsure, uncertain, doesn't think they fit in, that they don't think they're pretty, they think nobody likes them. Boy, all I got to do is just slowly start feeding into that. And now all of a sudden, I'm a knight in shining armor. And then I turn that. And so we shouldn't be surprised that children can fall prey to this. Adults fall prey to this. We see this in extramarital affairs. I counseled detectives that I worked with. We were working with primarily a population of women, for the most part, who are victims of horrific crimes. All of a sudden, we walk in as the detective. We are a safe person. We're a strong person. We don't believe in this. We don't conduct our lives this way. I would counsel our detectives day after day, do not let your professional relationship get blurred. Sometimes you're going to have people that look at you and you are the knight in shining armor. Understand. Yes, you're the protector. You're saving their life in many instances, but do not let that feed you and fall prey to any kind of inappropriate relationship. So these were conversations we had a lot. Yes. And if adults can fall prey, how much more children and teens can fit into that same mode? Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes even as parents or church administrators or school administrators, we don't understand the behaviors. And we've talked exhaustively about this as it relates to armed intruders or active shooter in schools, not connecting the red flags. It's the same thing here. A lot of these grooming behaviors, we don't always understand them for what they are. For example, a few years ago, one of our operational team members, she said, hey, take a look at this background check. We found, I believe there was like 19 different interactions with law enforcement for what we would call peeping, right? Peeping Tom mm-hmm. is what you called it back in the day. A lot of people just thought, oh, this is the crazy little guy in town, always looking in somebody's windows. What I understand now as a violent crime detective, that's not always the case. When you see Mm. that type of behavior, the peeping, a lot of times the peeping is a precursor to a future crime. I'm peeping. Maybe I'm trying to see you when you get out of the shower or something like that. But more than likely, I'm trying to figure out, are you alone? When are you alone? Is there a spouse in the house? Do you have a dog? A lot of that is surveillance. And I said, understanding, sometimes in a background screening report, when we return some of these, what would be considered maybe minor type misdemeanors, mm-hmm. understanding what these criminal acts are and how they fit into a broader picture of what that behavior really means. And I think a lot of times we don't understand that. I think our schools are probably going to struggle with understanding some of these messages that are not direct They're not probably saying, hey, meet me behind the playground at two o'clock and let's go on a date. They're going to be making much more guised statements that are not easy to unravel instinctively and intuitively. We're going to see them and know exactly what they mean, but they're going to fall in an area where like, what can I do with this? So it's a challenge and it's going to continue to be a challenge, especially 
if we stay remote. And it's a challenge when we go back full force because social media is still going to be here. And it's also been accepted for them to have contact through social media. Will that policy stop once we're back in the classroom or once we're back in church every Sunday? Will we end that? Or will it be acceptable to have some form of contact through social media after this is over? That's a good point. It becomes a new norm or an acceptable norm. So that is an interesting concept because you you realize once they've gotten used to communicating that way, even if they're in the building, there's still that, how are you doing on that paper? Or how are you, do you need, ex, you know, do you need extra help later in the day? The social media aspect. So that is an interesting problem because we've gotten so used to doing things now a certain way that some of that probably will not backstep. Correct. I've struggled with this concept of new normal because I think I attach new normal with fear. Mm. And I know we're going to talk more about this in the next podcast, but there really is a new normal. And going into COVID, we had a policy in, in our office that certain leadership positions could go remote one day a week. It was a day to be outside of the office, work from home, not be interrupted with meetings and and Mm. be able to really focus, but only certain positions were allowed to do this. Some of it operationally because of the nature of the information we deal with couldn't operate remotely. Now, all of a sudden, we're coming out of this and we're looking at our policies. It was on the agenda this week for our leadership team. Where do we stand on working remote? Well, it's expanded now. We figured out that many of us can work remotely now. Mm-hmm. Certain positions need to be in our office because we have to protect the data. But now we're going to expand who mm-hmm. can work remotely. Not all the time, but one day a week or two days a week. And so there is a new normal coming out yes. of this. And so I think some of the acceptance of much more personal, close contact with our children, there is a new normal here and we're going to have to be as parents. And I'm sorry, our parents, and I'm in this category, we have been overwhelmed with, I just had my daughter looking in the window to the left right here. Fortunately, we're on summer break, but I'm playing teacher, CEO all day long. And now I'm going to have to do more monitoring and looking at phones and checking. And so parents have an enormous amount of new responsibilities layered on top of them Mm -hmm. to help protect their children. Yes. With the schools, and like you said, I mean, we're still in a position, we have no idea what's going to happen in the fall. You know, we're finishing out with the long distance, which everyone has a different opinion of long distance um, for our household. I don't think it's worked real well, but everyone learns differently too. So I'm hoping for normal school because for my daughter, it, it just, she needs to connect that way. It's very hard to do long distance. But that being said, we don't know how the situation's going to be yet with our schools here, but now you've certainly done background systems, visitor check-in systems. Is there something that schools can do either if they aren't doing it now, things that you are currently working with in the school districts to uh, help them with safety issues, but is there something further um, that can be done in terms of staffing, in terms of trying to have a little more control or a little more hands-on with this type of communication and what is allowed, what isn't allowed, or, or even just in terms of checking their own staff. What are some things that they can do? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's kind of a multi-pronged approach we're going to have to take here. As always, we're going to have to train our employees what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's the policies. So there's got to be a whole layering in of training and education if it doesn't exist with our teams. That could be in the church or the school or wherever. I think the same information has to be presented to parents and to the children. Many school districts over the last several years have adopted kind of anonymous communication tools. And the idea behind these tools was really to receive alerts to prevent active shooter events. I can text anonymously, hey, Billy said he's coming to school with a gun tomorrow, and it triggers all kinds of responses. We looked at some data in Indiana, and we received this data through one of our media partners. And I use this a lot because it really illustrates the problem of protecting children in a school. And this was pre-COVID. We were so laser focused on armed intruder and active shooter events. So in Indiana, over the last you know five years, we've had one major school shooting event at Noblesville Schools. We had another thwarted school shooting in another location here in Indiana. But we had something like a hundred teachers or employees within like a one year period that had been arrested or terminated or lost their license because of inappropriate contact with a child. So let's put it in perspective. We were putting almost zero focus on the inappropriate behavior. And I've heard from schools in the past, the fear was we opened that up to be able to do anonymous communication on misconduct, that that can be misused. No doubt about it. Believe me, child doesn't get to play basketball and now they take it out on the coach. He did right. this or he did right. that. Or they don't like you, the you're teacher. All, don't like the teacher. He's, he or yep. she is holding firm and requiring you to complete things and you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. So there's always two sides to this. And, and part of protecting kids, it is going to be more work, but it's work yes. we have to do. So I think also being able to explain to our children and parents. We have responsibilities. I probably talk, and I have always done this, I talk to my children just like I'm talking to you. I've never been the goo-goo-ga-ga-da-da kind of guy. Maybe it's the whole violent crime detective thing, but the conversations we sit around at... We talk about things that probably normal people don't talk about at dinner. So it's not as hard for me to say to my daughter, hey, if a conversation steers this direction and anybody's asking you and they start asking you these questions or personal questions, you come to me the minute it starts and I want to see it. So I'm talking to my children and I'm probably much more hypervigilant with daughters than I was with my sons. But it's not paranoia. It's a realism that I know the threat that is posed to our children and our daughters especially are extraordinarily vulnerable to being abused by somebody they know not by somebody they don't know. And I talk about that. I don't want my daughters just intuitively to be scared of strangers all the time. I want you to have one eye open everybody that you know 
to make sure they're not going to harm you. The biggest risk to my two girls is getting into a relationship someday and that relationship being unhealthy, abusive, or violent. These guys don't look like that when you meet them. And so that's part of the ability to groom is man, I can say all the right things. I'm a salesman. I'm that perfect salesman that has an answer to every question. And the what does it take to get you into? The, yes, absolutely. And so, yeah, a lot of responsibility that goes both to the, the organization, mm-hmm. the school, the church, and to parents right now to really help our children understand what's a red flag. And as parents, if it doesn't feel right, it's yes. probably not right. That's called intuition. There's a book. Gavin DeBecker wrote a book years ago called The Gift of Fear. Every parent in the United States should read this because it's really going to help you understand what we're talking about right here. How when intuitively something makes you go, I don't like how that message sounded. Don't just overlook that. That intuition is about protecting you and protecting your children. I think that's something that women especially struggle with because I definitely have gotten those moments I didn't feel comfortable or I saw something I didn't feel comfortable. And I think sometimes we try to shoo it away. You have that feeling and yet you're, well, I'm probably being silly or I'm being paranoid or, well, that's not fair. I don't know that person. And, and you can go down that line of feeling like, gee, you know, I, I'm not supposed to judge that person based on something like that. We can, we kind of lose the, the whole concept of intuition, which, which I think oftentimes that that is a God-given part of our makeup in the sense of being able to have that sense. And I mean, again, and I say that, I'm sure there's a boundary there too, but I think we kind of sweep that under the carpet sometimes or we shoo it away, afraid that we're being silly for better lack of words. Yeah, we're socialized and actually we train our daughters to push that away. And maybe it's a feeling of political incorrectness today to feel that way. I'm starting to step onto an elevator. Something makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up with somebody on there. You know what I'm going to do? I'll catch the next one, my friend. I don't worry about offending anybody and protecting myself or my family. Mm-hmm. My daughters, they may have hair stand up on the back of their neck, but then they think, well, Jesus called me to be a steward and a good person and friendly. And this is a perfect example. I've got a friend and she used to speak for me a lot. And it really goes to the heart of this conflict sometimes within us. Yes. And She's a daughter of a pastor, lived in Indianapolis. She lived in a gated apartment community. One afternoon, somebody buzzes her and they're at her front door. Immediately, intuition says to her, nobody can get to my front door that I have not given access to get through the gate. So there's no way anybody can be buzzing me unless they're at the wrong house. So she goes to the door, buzzes back. He says, Hey, my truck broke down. I need to call a wrecker. Number two, hair's standing straight up because no way. How did he pick her apartment? How did he get through the gate? There's no earthly way this man should be standing at her door. Everything inside her is screaming, no way, no way, no way. What happens? 
I'm the daughter of a pastor. I'm a good Samaritan. This man's in crisis. And now she's got this conflict working inside of her in a split second. I mean, this isn't like a 20-minute debate. What does she do? She opens the door. He ends up raping her multiple times in the house. But part of what she talks about is this whole socialization. She knew, she knew, and there was no way this man should have ever got to her front door. But she still allowed this other side that she had been trained and socialized to believe a certain way. And it actually put her in harm's way. And so it's an important conversation with our children. Sometimes we do focus and say our daughters are at risk. Our sons are at risk when they're young. Female teachers, you know, yep. that are grooming. I mean, I right. think a lot more always, these days. Yep. You do. You hear many stories and I, not really fairly, but you always think, of course, the male. And I think in our culture today, you're, you're seeing actually a lot of, of female groomers. So it really, sons or daughters, it's become a, it's become a very cultural issue in the sense of it can be anybody. Exactly. Well, Mike, as usual, you've given us a a lot to think about. And and at the same time, it's important to be, as you said, to be educated. It's, It's not a, it's not bringing a doom and gloom. It's bringing the fact that we have to deal with reality and we have to, we have to be prepared. We have to be in the know. And we have to be educated about these things so that we can protect people, so that we can do what's right. And it is not an issue of, like you said, paranoia. It's just an issue of crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's along the way um, to make sure, to the best of our ability, that we keep people safe. And I think kind of the parting words, if I could leave any advice, is because you're volunteers or employees may be having remote contact with children does not mean you should be screening them at any lesser level because they should be treated no differently because quite honestly they have much more access remotely than they do when they're sitting in a room with 30 of them in a room because typically you've got other adults that are now no longer present when they're having this contact so in terms of protecting children, do not lower your standards and do not think that you can allow somebody to volunteer or interact with our children online that has not been properly vetted. Absolutely. So thank you, Mike. We look forward to our next conversation where we dive into the topic of fear. Perfect. Thanks, Melinda. Thank you. This podcast was sponsored by Safe Hiring Solutions. See us at safehiringsolutions.com